Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bell. And this week we're chatting about a topic that has never divided audiences or fandoms, that being adaptations of beloved game series for the silver and smaller screen. And what other series for us to focus on this month then? Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann's The Last of Us series for HBO. Adapted from Naughty Dog's critically acclaimed game, The Last of Us, follows the plight of smuggler Joel Miller, who reluctantly agrees to escort a mysterious girl named Ellie across a post-outbreak America, which has been ravaged by a fungal infection that's turned people into zombie-like creatures. And joining us once again is GameSpot producer and Safe Room's official The Last of Us correspondent, Jake Decker. How's it going, Jake? It's going good. Thank you guys for having me again. Always, always excited to talk about The Last of Us. Yeah, I had you on my podcast, uh, Daily Horror Habit, to chat about the premiere episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at that time, you know, we could only talk about the first episode, but you had seen a handful of them. And I'm really excited to, uh, you know, dive more into the season and whatnot and to see how, you know, some of the threads that were planted in that premiere episode, you know, flourished for the entire season and whatnot. We can talk about, uh, obviously, some of the uh, qualities of the adaptation that worked for us. I'm sure there might be one or two things that uh, maybe didn't land for all of us as uh, we thought mm-hmm. they would, but uh, I'm really excited to sort of pick both of your brains on the season. Yeah, can't wait. Start with the casting. I think, you know, when you have a game like The Last of Us, right, a game that is so drawn into these two people and really, you know, they are what elevate that very sort of, I would say, simplistic story, but it's one that is very much rooted in like deep emotions. Um, I think for me, that was my hesitation, right? And probably all fans of the game, right, is while Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey are both, you know, accomplished actors in their own right, um, sometimes those sort of adaptations uh, sort of miss the mark, right? Do they change too little? Do they rely too heavily on, you know, what has already been done before that? And so let's start with Pedro Pascal as Joel. Um, You know, for you, Jake, how was Pedro Pascal in adapting? Did he, you know, stray too far from the source material, stray too close? I loved him. I thought he was great. I thought he was a, a a great Joel. He brought some new stuff to the character, but also didn't deviate too far. He also looked a lot like Joel, you know, like I, I know they don't always need to look alike, but hmm. for me, it kind of helped. Um, and, you know, from time to time, I'd hear him talk and I'd be like, he, he sounds like Joel, but he doesn't sound too much like Joel. Um, he's kind of got his own sort, sort of style. So I, I was super impressed with Pedro. Um, anyway, there was a bunch of actors that people wanted. And if someone told me Pedro Pascal would have been it, I would have been like, uh, I don't know about that. And up until release, I was kind of feeling that way. But yeah, after watching the series, he, he nailed it, knocked it out of the park. How about you, Neil? How did you feel about Pedro being announced initially? Yeah, from anything I'd ever seen him in, I could see where it might come from, you know, and where his sort of personality and acting style would work quite well with this character. And I think he's done enough here to sort of distance himself from the game character while still keeping those sort of same beats that are mm-hmm. necessary to make him, you know, like Joel. Um, I suppose the tough thing on that is that by expanding the character out more as they do and giving him a more a wider range of emotions, you know, it, it makes it a bit trickier to sort of go to those darker places. And uh, obviously there are still parts of the fan base that don't quite understand that that's actually part of him and, uh, you know, that he is, not necessarily a good person and all that stuff, but you know, I think that helped sell it more for for me and helped make that character 
more of a real full-grown thing, you know, in that you could see him as most vulnerable. You could see why he would go to the lengths he would go to. It's not that he's just full-on sicko mode guy. He is just someone who is hurting so badly that the chance to redeem himself in his own head could take him anywhere. You know, and I like that. And it really, really did just get punctuated by the way Pedro Pascal sort of brought this character out. And uh, one of the complaints you could make about the series is the amount of time they get together, but you still manage to get the beats just about there, you know, which I think is more credit to the acting than anything, I think, in, and how much they do with so little time together comparatively. Yeah, that was my biggest worry with, you know, having a character like Joel that is so complicated and at the root of it, like, is not a good guy, which, you know, they make clear over the course of their journey together and unpacking a lot of, you know, the reasons for why he does the things that he does and how he's never truly, you know, gotten over that trauma of losing, you know, his daughter, Sarah and whatnot. And of course, just, you know, surviving in a essentially like a zombie apocalypse for Mm -hmm. 20 years, right? The things that he had to do to survive and whatnot and to, you know, help out his brother and, uh, you know, test. Um, But it is the type of thing where I was like, man, are they going to be able to take, because, you know, obviously storytelling in games and series is very different, right? With, in terms of uh, the breakups between gameplay and then cutscenes, and you have these little bits of dialogue. Um, But then when you have a series, right, and it's so heavily focused on Joel, I was really, really anxious about how they're going to navigate that. Are they going to make him so over the top that, you know, I think that the game has a great balance between him being these smaller, softer elements to him that kind of show a semblance of his humanity before the outbreak. But then at the same time, you know, you see glimpses, of course, of what of the person that he's become and Mm. what he's had to do to survive. And, you know, that is really a delicate balancing act, because when you have a series where every scene is basically with Joel, if you lean too far in one direction, it kind of throws off that character. And, you know, again, when you talk about characters that are so beloved, it's the type of thing where it's like you don't want to alienate your audience right off the jump. But at the same time, if you take this drastic shift in the portrayal of a character also, it's kind of like, well, this is starting to deviate too far um, from that source material and from that character who is so strong. Um, And also, you know, I even, I think it took me probably two watches of the premiere and then up until the second episode before I was like really on board with the portrayals because again, Mm -hmm. I had, you know, Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson in the back of my mind always and just kind of being like, oh, is Pedro, you know, trying to do a Troy impression here? Is he trying to do his best impression of like a Southern accent or something like that? But there is this really nice balance, I think, between drawing some inspiration from those original roles or voice performances, but then at the same time, you know, using his own skill set as an actor. Um, And Mm. it's something that I think it grew on me very quickly in a way that I was like, no, okay, these are proper portrayals in the sense that there's enough of the source material in them, but at the same time, they take these little deviations that, you know, are backed up by Craig Mazin and uh, Neil Druckmann's writing that support that. Um, How did you guys feel about Ellie? Because Bella Ramsey, you know, obviously another uh, Game of Thrones alum, but I hadn't necessarily seen her in anything other than that. And to be honest, I haven't watched Game of Thrones in forever. Um, How did you guys, Jake, how did you feel about uh, her portrayal of Ellie, which I think takes a little longer maybe to really flourish than Joel's uh, in the series? 
Yeah, I was going to say, it definitely took me longer to get used to her as Ellie. Once again, I will say there were moments where she would sound a lot like the Ellie from the game, say very similar things. I mean, you know, a lot of people know that some scenes are just straight from the game, That, but, but you know, uh, redone with those actors. Um, so yeah, I, I, w- I would agree. I think it took me a little bit longer to get used to her, but once I did, I, I thought as well, I mean, she, she just did a great job capturing that character. And for a lot of the same reasons as, as Pedro Pascal and Joel, it was like, this is a character I'm very familiar with. This is the char- character I really like. And they managed to like, yes, tell the same story, but kind of give different, different shades of, of Ellie from a different perspective. And, and I thought it worked. Um, I was watching an interview with her. Uh, and I forgot who, I think it was just like some, some press person was like, so did you play the game? Did you base your character off of her at all? And, and she was like, no, I just, I, I'm a lot like her. Like I, I read the script and I was like, this seems like me. So I'm just going to play myself cause I can't really overthink it. Cause then I'm going to be trying to do something that's not me. And, and, and I think it just like, it goes down to the casting directors, you know, like I know when that got announced, people were like, oh, that doesn't look like Ellie. Like, is that going to work? Um, but you know, when it comes down to it, you know, looks are important, but you want someone who can embody that character. And I say they did. Um, so yeah, I, I was, you know, I was satisfied by both of them. I thought, I thought they both did, 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 did great. Yeah. I, and I think of the casting choices there, when they came out, this was the one for me, I saw it and was like, makes sense. Really does. Just mm. having seen how she can be. I thought, yeah, you could because straight away you're going to believe that she can be a foul mouth, but will get you know, and yeah. um, and also just be likable with it, which is the two key things you want out there. And yeah, I do think again, this is another one that sort of benefited from not taking too much of the games on themselves and just going for the character because again, they flush out so much more of her, her vulnerability and you know why she is so spiky, and you get more of a sense of why they are essentially so similar and why they get, will eventually get on and why there's this sort of very sort of volcanic thing under the surface with them, you know, that will obviously eventually explode in its own way. So yeah, it's a really good performance and better, even my expectations that were as high as they were for her to do that. She really did just blow you away. And for someone who hadn't played the game or had seen that performance, maybe even, to come out at certain lines, even when it wasn't just like in-game lines, it was the delivery was mm. uncanny. And it was just like, how can you not? I, I don't want to, I don't believe you haven't seen it anyway now because it's like, <laughs> it's just a bit too close like that. It's the mannerisms. But as you said, if the script calls for the right thing, I think got to give credit to Druckmann in that regard because you go back to that original script, it's there. You know, there's someone who wasn't a teenager playing a teenager and still getting it. You know, and the same true here. You know, you've got someone who's just ending their teenage years, but so close enough to sort of understand these fundamentals of it. And it, yeah, it's just there in the character and the writing of that character. And with the right actor, as it shows, you can bring that out. Yeah, you know, her nailing the Ellie cadence and just like sensibilities, Mm -hmm. I feel like it was so perfect. Like Jake said, like, sure, a lot of people at the time were like, and even myself, it was kind of like, well, you want to cast somebody that looks as close to the character as possible. But, you know, once you get to like episode two, right. And I think that one begins with her mimicking a clicker, right. When they're kind of like, Oh, is she Mm going to turn or not? And then it's kind of like a perfect moment that just kind of captures her sensibilities as 
a kid mm-hmm. that's come up in the you know post apocalypse and everything, and the fact that you know oh. You know, this is a person that we are viewing as cargo, but as soon as that sort of personality starts to bleed through, it's the type of thing where it's like, oh, okay, you can already see the shift in how they view her, right? And that's kind of like the very beginning of it, I think. And it it was great to see that periodically just build and build and build to the degree that, you know, of course, you inevitably get to uh, like the puns and things like that. But what I really liked about it was that, and it was true of the game as well, but in the series, you have her periodically chiding Joel, right, about his perception of things in this world and whatnot, and specifically when it's tied to, like, the old world, right? Mm. I think it's at the beginning of episode three when they're walking through a field and they see, like, a crashed airplane, and he's, like, very – he's kind of, like, bitching about how flight uh, flying was and everything, how expensive it was and all these things. And then Ellie's like, dude, you got to go into the sky, which is such, like, a great yeah. <laughs> moment that just, like, captures an adolescence that has basically been robbed – uh, for her, right? This idea that she'll never really know the old world and marvels at elements of that, that people that were there at the time, like take for granted or took for granted, basically. Mm. Um, and just little moments like that, I thought really helped to bring Ellie out of her, um, maybe much sooner than Joel for me. Um, and something that, you know, I rewatched the season this last week, um, because, you know, I wanted to see what it was like to kind of just Uh, marathon through it without having to wait, you know, a week and whatnot and kind of just consume it all at once. Um, And something that I was cognizant of the first time and definitely was the second time I watched it was what I found to be a softer portrayal of Joel. Uh, And I'm of two minds of it. On one hand, I understand that you can't, like I said earlier, you can't have a character that is leaning so far into one of two camps that he kind of belongs to, right? It's either going to be really hardcore Joel that's been shaped by the apocalypse, who is this guy that's killed lots of people in these things, or you have this more heartfelt Joel. And, you know, for me, the show definitely picks and chooses when it leans a little too far into a softer portrayal of Joel. But then again, it's nine episodes long, right? You can't have a protagonist that, Within three episodes, you're kind of like, okay, I've had enough of this guy. He's just too aggressive, too over the top, too unlikable. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I want to talk about that balancing act a little bit more. Um, Neil, how was this for you? Did you find that Joel was portrayed as too soft or did they kind of find that balance uh, for you? See, I, by giving you, it's always been the case that giving you the context at the beginning of why he'd ever be like this and the way the world has gone and how cruel and cold it's become. It makes sense, and even with broad strokes, they tell that story well, even in the original game. Maybe, you know, you could say in the game, it's a bit heavy on just making him, oh, I'm really, really grumpy and gruff, and I'm like, yeah, the world, I hate everything in the world sort of thing. And yeah, it's, it's that problem I call the John Wick problem. It's like, where you're kind of trying to over-explain your main character's you know, great thing, you know, the thing about them that makes them them rather than letting them show you. And there's a lot of that early on, you know, where you have, he's being, you, know, you have tests sort of mentioning how bad they've been and all these things they've done and people around him sort of putting the fear and hyping up the character. And then he doesn't really get to show it for a while, you know, to the level that you expect, especially when you have the context of the game character. And it really is just, I'm a bit gruff and grumpy because my daughter died 20 years ago 
and it's like fair enough like that and you get these little flashes of course which help again they're always motivated by the fact that he's having a flashback to what happened you know stuff that doesn't really get given that context in the game later again and again it's in such an obvious way but the benefit of that is by being softer throughout and showing that he can come back I think that just plays into the fear that he has you know and really the thing that would tip him over the edge in the first place again is to have to go for it all over again and that's just as bad as if he'd lost Delhi you know it would be you know he would go you know and it's like he doesn't want to feel like that again and I think it makes that end point for him more impactful because then if anything he's more vicious in the end of this than he is in the game you know where it's kind of like a nice even keel of things yeah sure you're going around killing things just the coldness of the execution of everything he's doing whereas in the game you're kind of following a game's idea of go here do this do that with a little bit of it in your head going okay i've built up this connection with ellie myself there it's like no it's just this cold calculated thing of him doing it where it's like he very selfishly thinks about i must do this i must do that and yeah, I still will probably end up feeling regret and guilt for it, but at the end of the day, he's not willing to lose things again for himself. So I think that journey is more interesting the way they've done it, you know, if not maybe as consistent. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree. I think that's a that's a pretty good way to put it. I mean, I think one thing that you touched on, and I imagine we're going to be talking about at some point, but like, I I, I think it's harder to see that colder darker side of joel when you're not playing a video game where you need to kill all these people yeah. you know like like yeah obviously this show is violent there is killing but the way the cold calculated way that you kill people is joel i mean if if, if you know how to play the game you know you know all the <laughs> mechanics and stuff like it, it, that that paints a different picture of maybe not a different picture of joel but like that is a side of Joel that you cannot show necessarily in in a TV show. I mean, it just doesn't work. So, so I think to that end, like, like the, the, I guess this is like even a greater discussion that we'll get to at some point. But, but I think that is probably one of my maybe not criticisms, but one of my like low points of the show was mm-hmm. like, yeah, there was a part of this story, this world that you just can't express in this medium. Um, but that said, I, I I think to your point about you know the Joel they've created in the Pedro and, you know, Pedro Pascal being Joel, it, 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 it's like a, a different type of Joel that almost works better for the medium that it's in, you know, yeah. like, like I, I love Troy Baker's portrayal of Joel, obviously, but like, I don't think if Troy Baker, if they casted Troy Baker to play Joel in this show, I don't think it would have worked nearly as no, well. Which I think is punctuated by his role in this, you know, when he mm-hmm. does appear, it's the perfect character for who Troy Baker is. I think really in real life, you know, that's, it's very different yeah. when you're doing voice acting where you can kind of have a bit more range and sometimes you just don't have the aura or the face for coming across as that kind of character. So totally. I, he, he sells yeah. in this being a more cowardly, you know, sort of nasty person who's just going along with someone nastier than he would be just being like the lead guy who's doing everything himself because yeah whatever but yeah it it definitely makes sense in the live action sense of the way yeah you know i think it was just for me within that first episode or two you can see already 
you know, that Joel is raw and, you know, the pacing, my memory of the pacing of the game might be off, but for the series itself, you know, just thinking about how almost instantly you can start to see, you know, the gaps in his armor almost that he's put up over these years, right? You start to see some more vulnerability with the fact that, you know, he's being faced with, you know, seemingly a second chance at being a guardian of a child and having to protect them, right? Mm. And whatnot. And while this is very much a job uh, in this sense, uh, it's the type of thing where you start to see a softer side of him almost or some or part of him that I suppose was not there in the game in terms of just, you know, his reactions to things and how, you know, he like lets her, t- she tells him off at one point, right? Especially after when Tess dies. Um, she has that moment where she like tells him off and he kind of just folds. And, you know, Perhaps that has to do with the pacing of a series, right? If you're not going to have a guy that all of a sudden like doesn't want to talk to this other character for 15 minutes or whatever while they're <laughs> yeah. kind of dealing with that. But at the same time, I was just thinking how, oh, are they becoming too chummy too quickly? That was kind of in the back of my mind for the first few episodes. Granted, once you get to that place where these two characters come together and they do start to build this rapport that just grows and grows and grows to the degree that, you know, they are the Joel and Ellie that we all know and love. That is a really special moment. And it's shocking to me that they were able to have that translate to television almost as well. Right. Because, again, when you talk about the original game, it's one of those relationships in games that, you know, you could recommend that game to seemingly anybody that has a passing interest in video games based off of that, mm. um, whether or not, you know, they're into horror or not, it's just kind of speaking to the strength mm. and performances of those characters. Um, and I think that also, you know, in terms of adapting it for television, the ways in which they're able to begin to incorporate small moments that then grow into, you know, pretty significant creative liberties with the source material to sort of show that parental relationship um, I think is really great. And it's some subtle moments uh, all throughout the show. Like there's one when they're camping out in the woods. Right. And so she says, I believe Ellie says something to the effect of like, oh, uh, nobody's going to find us out here. Right. And Joel's like, no, 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 nobody will come out here. And then you see that faint glimmer in his eye where he's just where he's like, oh, well, that is a real possibility. And then you have him staying up all night mm-hmm. as guard. Right. And it's not a whole drawn out sequence or anything. It's a short bit. But again, it just kind of it shows that sort of trust that they have in one another at that point from both sides, right? And that's something that uh, you know later when he falls asleep, she chast- he chastises her for not waking him up. But then you start to see that shift in you know responsibilities between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of you know talking about liberties that were taken with the source material, uh, you know I think there's no other place to start than with episode three. Right. When you have this whole episode, essentially, that is focused around Bill and Frank, who are these two characters who, you know, we've only met one of them in the game. The other one we only ever heard about. And, you know, Jake, when you were on my podcast, you had hinted that you would hurt. Yeah, you teased. You did not. (laughs) We did not go into detail on that at that point. But you did tease that episode three was one of these sort of monumental uh, moments in television, right? And that I should be very excited for that. So I'd love to kind of talk about that a little more in depth now that we can. Um, So, you know, in terms of expanding on characters far more than was actually in the source material, um, what was so uh, significant about episode three? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was where the show subverted so many expectations right out of the gate, because 
obviously, you know, the, the first two episodes, th- things were cut down, things were changed, some, some, you know, dialogue was changed, they added new scenes, but that was completely different. We knew Bill was going to be in it, um, and we didn't, at least I did not expect the direction they were going to take at no. all. I mean, uh, having that whole episode dedicated to Bill and Frank and their relationship and how it evolved over, you know, the beginning of the outbreak to to the very end, I thought was super powerful, uh, really impactful, uh, great performances by both of them as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, that to me was one of those moments where that kind of made me wish that the show wasn't about Joel and Ellie because, you know, I, I, now that the show's over, no, nah, sorry about my mic. Now that the show's over, I'm happy that uh, they did do that because it mm. was very clear that a lot of people who didn't play games, uh, you know, would still enjoy this. And it's a special story that people should enjoy. But I think that episode alone proved that, like, there's so much more to this world that could be with the right people. They could explore, like, some really interesting uh, uh uh, deep, dark, uh, exciting themes that they were able to do in that episode that was completely out of left field. Um, I, I think like the one kind of disappointing thing, maybe not even disappointing, but I do kind of wish uh, like that there was some level of interaction between Bill, Frank, and Ellie because mm. that also is a kind of a highlight of the game for me is when you first go yes. to Bill's town and you meet Bill and uh, you, you, him and Ellie butt heads a lot through it. Ellie makes fun of him. Uh, it, 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 there's something missing there. And I don't know if that would necessarily work with the build they created for the show because no. he seems like a, a gentler uh, character, maybe, I guess you could say. Not as, uh, I don't know, not as angry, not as yeah. bitter. <laughs> um, but, but still, I was kind of hoping there'd be some sort of interactions there. Yeah, I think... The story itself, when you look back at the whole thing, is part of the bigger picture of sort of shaping these stories around Joel and Ellie to sort of help tell their story in different ways. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it takes the title of The Last of Us and makes it more of a general interpretation. It's not just about their story. It's about all these stories, which I think, you know, when you go into a second, third season, makes more sense when you are opening up the story to more stories and more in, more viewpoints on this world and I think as a device for sort of framing that for the future, it's a really good idea because you see it again later when you have these extra characters added or when you flesh out characters that we meet, you know, in other ways and don't make them as simple as that. Then they really do just sort of begin to be more about them. And you know, that's probably why we get less of Joel and Eddie just being together doing normal stuff. Um, and I suppose one of those divisive things is that you, know, you have these stories that aren't so much about the apocalypse really they aren't so much about the creatures in it they are just about how people are enduring and surviving in this environment in different ways and this you know the message of this one is that it's like it doesn't matter you know love can be love and be allowed to thrive in this time you know when everyone's hostile in their own ways for every other reason but you know you can find your pocket of humanity and just live out in it you know happy you know and that's the sweet story of that little segment. So while it does, you know, fundamentally change everything about that whole Bill relationship, it does at least provide this sort of extra context for what is to come for the main characters. Yeah, I think if they took the Bill from the game and 
put him in the show, I don't think any of that would have landed as well as it did in the game. Because yeah. no. you, you don't fully understand his relationship with Frank throughout that. You can kind of piece it together through notes and like he'll make hints, but like it's not very overt. Um, and like he's just very affronting. Like he's just mm. in, he's pissed in a bad mood, like cursing at Joe, Joel and Ellie. Uh, and and I I don't think that would have worked. But once again, like I really appreciate both interpretations of this character. Like I think both work, both serve, um, you know, the medium that they're in, yeah. in a way that strengthens the, the the overall narrative significantly. I will say I think um, it probably his role strengthens I think the game a little more because he yeah. has a more active role in it. But like like you're saying, like I think just to show that side of humanity is super important, especially for people who may not be familiar with the game, right? Like I feel like when The Last of Us came out, it was like after he had a million zombie games and a bunch yeah. of post apocalyptic games. Yeah. So like the folks picking this game up knew what they were getting into. Well, people mm-hmm. watching the show, like, yeah, obviously there's tons of post apocalyptic movies, zombie movies well, yeah. and stuff. But but it was like an HBO show that sure. like like they, have they had like their sort of zombie HBO show? I don't think so. No, like, and no, we I just had their sorry, apocalypse show would have been Station Eleven, but that oh, yeah. doesn't have anything to do with zombies. No, but you know we just you know, the Walking Dead had finished at this point by the time mm-hmm. it's come out. You know that's we've seen all the things that that did. That you know the Last of Us did the, all those things as well. So it, you know, it had all the humanity is the real monster nonsense, and you know that's. Yeah, a fair staple like that. So I like that they did try and show other sides to it. And, mm-hmm. you know, they could do the, this isn't black and white thing, you know, about characters without it being the usual thing, you know, of like, you know, everyone's, you know, even down to Joel, when you think about it, Joel was an antagonist in how many seasons of The Walking Dead in different forms? You know, he's, he would be the governor, you know, he would be Negan in his own way. He would be one of those people who believes he's doing some greater good for some trauma he suffered in the past. And I'm glad we didn't get that character, you know, because from a lesser, you know, studio, we would probably would have got something that was a bit more like that. And it probably wouldn't have stood out as well as it does. Well, to take a slight deviation without leaving entirely episode three, I mean, for me, an example of what you're talking about would be the Kansas City chapters, which I think are two full episodes Mm -hmm. with Kathleen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me personally, those are the two weakest episodes, I think, of the season for me, because they kind of give you exactly what the type of antagonist you would expect, right? You see somebody that overthrew the government and whatnot, and they create their own sort of force. But then, of course, inevitably, they become just as bad or worse than the occupying force that was there. Well, And, yeah. you know, for me, I was much more – it made me appreciate episode three more because it was telling this small story that, you know, at the end of the day was not going to drastically impact their progression, you know, to getting Ellie where she needs to go. But – it was telling this little microcosm of a story within this apocalyptic setting that differed from the traditional sort of power struggle. It was more about, you know, finding the thing that these people have been looking for their entire lives and, you know, how this apocalypse begins to influence it. But at the same time, it doesn't completely distort this thing that they, you know, have been looking for and finally found. Sure. I, I would, I will say on those Kansas episodes that the key thing there is, that they are taking something that was very much the stereotypical, oh, here's a bunch of thugs in the city and they're all mean and horrible and they're going to kill everyone they see and gave it context, gave it more flesh to it, gave them a reason to be, you know, 
the conflict is there and it is just an elevated version of what we've seen before in places but it is better than what came before in that regard it gives you more substance as a reason to you know john and ellie aren't the victims they're not being picked on here they just happen to be passing through at the wrong time and connect with the wrong people you know and that's the way it should be you know i think that's a a better more subtle interpretation of what was going on and gave them way to that whole sam thing uh, with the character in a way that rather than just oh he's he's a coward in the moment sort of thing again another very obvious stereotypical thing you know um so again giving him different reasons to be you know conflicted so yeah it's a different way of doing things yeah my one amend should have been Henry and the focus on Henry and Sam was great in those episodes. Yeah. It was more so, you know, focusing on the the group that springs up after Fedra's defeated and whatnot. Mm. Yeah, I suppose in how they kind of quickly brushed aside, but then that's also just the nature of the story in itself and how it just sort of go, jumps from place to place. So, you know, you can't really focus on people that long beyond the main characters because no one really tags along for very long you know that's the common theme throughout the season is mm-hmm. it's john and nelly whoever happens to be there that week and that's it and then they're gone and then you're back to john and nelly again for a bit and yes yeah, it's, it's kind of like john and nelly are like the hub world of the story you know you'll get a lot of the times with these episodes that were there doing something together at the beginning and the end and then the middle stuff it can be a lot of other characters sort of coming in and out and telling their own stories, doing their own things and sort of doing it that way. So yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing to sort of get right, but they, they do pretty well, I think, in those ones. I think one thing that I was appreciative of with the, you know, taking creative liberties with the source material was the two cold opens that we get in the first two episodes. Um, you know, the first episode opens with that sixties talk show where you have these people having this conversation about cordyceps and, you know, how that could inevitably spread around the world and these things, which, you know, kind of parallels a COVID, uh, global warming type discussion and whatnot. And then in the set follow-up episode, it focuses on a, um, a professor of mycology in Indonesia, right? Which it, it sounds like is the sort of ground zero for the infection and how it spreads and everything. And I thought that those were two brilliant ways to expand on the storytelling of The Last of Us and provide greater context. But like I said, it's a cold open. Those scenes are not more than 10 minutes long. And it did such a great job of, you know, playing with the variables established in the game, but to the best of my knowledge, goes completely off script in regard to it not having any sort of basis of what was discussed in um, the first two... in the game. And so that was the type of thing where I was like, I really appreciated those. And I almost wish, you know, granted episode three is just a even longer version of what I'm talking about, but I kind of wish we'd almost had like one or two more cold opens like that, because at the end of the day, it just, it provides more substance to the world without directly influencing, you know, Joel and Ellie's journey, which in my opinion, if you're going to do an adaptation, those are the types of things that you should do. If you want to give, you know, greater context, that can still be approached and appreciated by both newcomers and also, you know, fans who have played through the games as many times as people like Jake and I have. Yeah. I don't know who, I I mean, it's hard to say exactly like who wrote those scenes, but those scenes feel very much like Craig Matson's editions. Like, cause I mean, I've seen Chernobyl and Mm -hmm. when I remember it was announced that he'd be working on it, that was one of the things I was hoping for is what you're saying. Like more, more context to the world because knowing him as, you know, a showrunner, writer, director, that, that's kind of what he does. 
Um, and, and to your point, yeah, I think they did it super effectively. And I would have loved to just see more. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, I, the thing that excited me about those two cold opens, yeah, actually early on were that they kind of gave me the stuff I liked about The Last of Us the most, which is the whole cordyceps idea, the fungus idea. And I've gone back before about the book by Harry Adam Knight called The Fungus, uh, which, you know, goes in such detail about how this happens, you know, how they fucked with these fungus thing and it changed everything with them. And, you know, there's so many these little mini stories in the first few chapters about people experiencing what this fungus does in different ways and how it affects them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I love that. And I thought, oh, good, we're going to get more of that. We're going to get all this in-depth stuff about... And to be honest, they kind of stopped giving a shit about cordyceps after that. (laughs) Beyond Ellie being not not infected or someone being infected, nothing. You know, there's none... Even when you get like the appearances of different things, like the clickers or the bloaters like mm-hmm. that, they don't really go into much thing. It's mad because, on the one hand, you could probably point and go, "Oh, well, it must be the guy who's the showrunner who doesn't really care to put all this game stuff in," you know, blah blah blah. But then he's clearly the one that's put all this information at the front and said all oh, and presents it really well. I don't know. I don't know kind of why we left off of there. Because yeah, I, I don't know if we're even going to get that kind of thing happen again, you know. Because where's the context really beyond mm-hmm. introducing new types? And you know that'll come to a gripe later. But you know, it's yeah, it was a bit of a disappointment in that regard because I, I was expecting with you know Mason being involved and how insightful Chernobyl was, and then seeing all that those cold opens, I was sure we were going to get something a bit more. You know, both sides of it, you know, just not their story, but also the building of this cordyceps infection. But, you know, they did a lot, to be fair, in those two episodes, of really sort of showing you the whole process and showing you the out- how the lead up to the outbreak. And that was really well done. And, you know, but it's just, yeah, I'd like more of it. I, yeah. I would definitely bet that Mason was behind those two cold opens because he takes that quality that made Chernobyl so chilling, you know, for that being this very grounded thing. And yet every episode of that kind of felt like a horror show in a sense where it was just, you know, I'm thinking back to that scene when um, the workers have to like go dive into the water in one of those reactors, right? Mm. And how just like nerve, nerve fraying that scene is and just how chilling when you know the implications of them being not only in the vicinity of Chernobyl, but, you know, submerging themselves in this radioactive water and whatnot and them being oblivious to it, right? And I think that the 60s talk show segment really captures that same thing where everybody is laughing at this doctor who uh, is a great cameo by John Hanna, right? And everybody's laughing at him, treating him like a loon. But then over time, he wins the audience just with his words, right? He doesn't kind of become hysterical and start, you know, trying to uh, almost like proselytize what he's talking about. He's just like very open and honest about what is going to happen later in the future and whatnot. And just to see the temperature in the room completely shift and not have to have this massive set piece moment or something like that. It's just people having a conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's true of the other cold open scene when you get to the end of the professor who's been, you know, analyzing this body that's infected with cordyceps. And basically what is her advice? She's like, there's no, there's no medicine or vaccine. Uh, You have to start bombing cities. And then it ends with her saying she just wants to go be with her family. And again, it's, it's not this type of moment that builds intensity through perhaps the traditional means that you might expect from a zombie series like The Walking Dead or something like that. It's just 
people having an open and honest and, you know, frank conversation that there is no hope, uh, you know, go, the road that we're going down, it's already too late to turn back. Uh, and those were two, I think, very key moments in just setting up the series in a way that maybe made it feel different or more approachable for people that are either burnt out on zombie stuff or don't have this love for the games. Mm. But at the same time, you know, for people that do love the games, uh, it's like, yeah, I want more of those because they were just as effective for me, even though I know eventually where the story is going. Um, I guess also in terms of like the cordyceps and how they kind of abandoned that. I thought one of the coolest things introduced in those first two episodes is the idea that the cordyceps work as like a tripwire system. Yeah. That's how the, the hordes communicate with one another and stuff like yeah. that. And they have to like be careful because if one of them touches something that they shouldn't, it alerts a horde nearby. Like that was such a cool new concept that's not in the mm-hmm. game. And you get one instance of that and then yeah. they never touch upon it again, right? And it was one of those things where I was like, how do you not return to this cool as fuck idea that's mm-hmm. not only terrifying and exciting for people like us that have played the games and think we know what to expect, but that is the type of curveball that you can play around with when you're taking these creative liberties. Yeah, yeah, that's, def- that's something I was actually going to bring up because uh, like you, I-, I remember that moment very clearly because I was like, okay, they're playing with it even more because yeah. uh you know you know th- those cold opens especially the second one one cool thing about it is it kind of lays out like hey here are the differences between a regular zombie this and a last of us infected right um and then yeah when they expanded on that with the i think it was like the mycelian network or something um i was like okay this has to come in later like at the end or something uh but it it kind of doesn't so Mm. i'm super curious to see like what they would do with that in the future because it really felt like i don't know if there was supposed to be a scene or or an episode where that may have been sort of the catalyst for something really bad i i I guess like no i I, i'm I'm thinking back to the second episode of the um what was it like the pittsburgh stuff is it pittsburgh no uh boston Um, i believe the, the boston stuff when they get cornered they the, that horde came because they were making a bunch of noise, and they, so they didn't step on the network at all, right? It's right. just well, that's how they get alerted to where they are. I think when they're at the state house, because one of yeah. them, some either something somebody shoots one of the infected, or I just remember that a strand of it wraps around um, an infected, mm-hmm. and then that alerts mm-hmm. them, and that's oh, yeah, what causes yeah, okay. them to you know storm them, and that's when Tess uh, dies. Yeah. yeah, but early, yeah, it kind of nullifies the point of clickers a bit because, like, they seem to work independently of the rest, and you know they have their own sort of sensor system in what they do. And, you know, I it's kind of like they figured that out afterwards as well because you know, clickers mm-hmm. really just fuck off after that. You know, it's like, but um, yeah, it just it, it wasn't until after where I was just sort of looking and going, oh, that's really cool. They had that system, but. Where was it before that? You know, it's like when the clickers, you know, the noisiest fuckers of the lot are just, you know, there and not really sort of connecting with it all. It's fine if they go into detail and sort of tell you the, the whys and the hows and stuff. And I suppose the problem with what they're doing is, you know, there aren't many people around to sort of tell you, you know, because you don't have the science there because no one really lived yeah. long enough to tell you. <laughs> so, which is one of the good things about those cold opens, you know, is that they kind of, a uh, good foreshadowing for the end in terms of like, well, yeah, they're just saying there's no point, you know, there's no point. If we, we don't, there's no cure for, there's no way around it. It's like, if there wasn't before when we had all the resources, what 
fucking chance that the fireflies have yeah you know, at, at the end so it's you could see how that logic might have seeped into other people's thinking over the years yeah but anyway i digress go, let, go back to what you said <laughs> yeah you know i guess i'll come to this now then since uh, i was going to save it for later but since we mentioned it you know in terms of the handling overall of the infected right i think we always had an idea that considering Joel and Ellie are the main drive and the main emotional core of the story, right? They are going to be the focus. It's going to provide, and I know Neil might not like what I'm about to say, but it's going to provide something that I always wanted from The Walking Dead, but never felt that I was actually getting, which was, you know, a focus on these two characters and, you know, them being either shaped or influenced by the world. But at the end of the day, it does not completely corrupt both parties. Um, And I think that, for me, I was somewhat surprised, even though, you know, HBO is involved. We know that Mason is involved. I was surprised how little of the infected there were in this. Mm. Um, and I'm not going to go so far as to say, like, it's a detriment to my enjoyment of the series and whatnot. But I will say it was definitely noticeable. And I definitely have it like on my you know bingo card for season two, where it's like definitely need a little bit more infected and moments around them. Um, I mean, Jake, generally speaking, how did you feel about, you know, the handling of the infected? Did they have enough of them in the show? Did they, the scenes that did include them, you know, capitalize on just how terrifying the Last of Us, Last of Us's brand of infected are? Yeah, I mean, I'll say right off the bat, like, I think the second half was pretty lacking in them. I'm not really one who's, who cared. Like, I know a lot of people were, uh, you know, saying it's a zombie show. Why are there no zombies in it? Blah, 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 blah. I think that's... that's that's an oversimplification yeah you kind of missed the point um i will say they did look terrifying i loved Mm. all the scenes that they were in i do wish there were more but i think the thing especially that second half the thing to consider is like of the game rather the second half of that game like the infected are more of an obstacle they're not really like key to the story at that point it's more like okay we got to get here we got to get here and there's 50 infected in the way that we have to get through and you know you sneak past them like sure joel and ellie would share dialogue between each other you'd get a little bit of backstory here and there but i feel like there's not really a lot of plot points that deal directly with the infected after um the cabin stuff with ellie when they get swarmed at at that cabin so to me it made sense but Hmm. Yeah, I can see why some people are like, what happened to the infected? Like, shouldn't they be here? Should, shouldn't that be a threat? Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't think it needed them, to be honest, for that for that second half. I, I thought it made way more sense to just focus in on those characters and that immediate threat, which was, you know, the fireflies or, or yeah. yeah. I think, Neil, you and I talked about this a little bit um, off air, but it was the type of thing where, you know, it's not that I felt that there was too few scenes with the infected. It's that the ones that really, you know, were supposed to be capturing just how terrifying they are. And especially when you get into the permutations outside of the scene with the clickers, I didn't necessarily think that it captured them in the best way. If that makes sense. It kind of just felt like, well, we have, we can't not show the infected. We can't not show the bloater or the, the clickers mm-hmm. and whatnot. It mm-hmm. didn't. And I think if anything, it kind of showed maybe, perhaps that Mazin himself as a showrunner is not super confident with action, Um, especially thinking about that scene when you have the bloater, right? That moment is so fleeting and there's been a buildup now for an entire episode to the fact that there's a nest there, right? And 
that moment, you know, as chaotic as it is, it does have that spark of how exciting and terrifying it is at the same time. But it just felt far too almost like restrained, if that makes sense, in terms of like it's like over in an instant. It's also the type of thing where there's not a lot of capturing little moments that really show just how visceral they are. Like you get that brief moment where one of the little clicker childs follows Ellie into the back of a van, right? That could have been a super like intense, drawn out sequence that really captures how terrifying they are. But again, it's so fleeting. It's like a little mm-hmm. footnote on yeah. that. It's like barely a scene that you remember. It's over so quickly. Um, and also like the bloater as heavily as that been advertised. It's the type of thing where I was like, okay, gets out of the pit and then he rips Perry's head in half, but you barely even see that, right? It was a moment where if it's going to be fleeting, you need to have it be like front and center and just be this kind of like in your face moment that's unmissable before you move on to, you know, getting back to the character focused uh, segments. Yeah. So, you know, I agree that, you know, the second half doesn't need them as much. And I think that comes from what Craig Mason was very explicit with before the show came out was like, why they change this? Why they did this? You know, the changing the idea of it being spores because everyone would just be dead. It'd be fucked. There's no way you could do it like that. Then changing it to sort of tendrils that made total sense. And I get that. And I suddenly thought, well, that's cool. Apply logic to things. Problem is, of course, by applying logic to things and you go to these, the back half of the season, it means you do then just go, well, you know, if we're following logic, there aren't going to be many here. You know, if you go to this, zone where they've pretty much kept them under wraps for all this time of course you're not going to see them until the end you know and they erupt out the ground if you go to this sanctuary place you know where tommy is of course there aren't going to be many around you know if you go into the snowy wilderness of course there aren't going to be many around in an isolated mall you know that is abandoned in the middle of a city of course not you know and it makes sense again and again why there wouldn't be infected there as much if at all um, but with that being said, the earlier half could have used them better and more often. Now, one of the things after watching that initial first episode that I was so excited for was like, they show that nice tease of the towers, you know, one leaning into other and I just thought, great. One of my favorite bits of the whole game is in the next episode, which is obviously where the clicker is originally introduced and you have to go mm-hmm. through those ruined buildings. I love that section so much. And then the, just skipped it. Just didn't do it. And yeah. I was like, and it really rubbed me the wrong way for the rest of that episode because I was just like, why? Like that. And then they sort of reintroduced the clicker in the later scene. And from a story context, I get why you don't want to kind of repeat yourself twice with that, but it was annoying. And there's just several instances of, of that throughout those first few episodes you know in episode three you don't really get it because they changed that whole setup so you don't get like the trap town of all that and the whole jill upside down nonsense and and even kansas you know it's it just keeps doing these little things you know that great little escape they have to get with um with the sam and that you know tense moments that would be really good and while i think maybe you're right to a degree Jay about the fact that maybe Mason doesn't really you know, get on with action as much I think part of it is like a bit of um, restraint on the budget where they're like eh, well yeah we, we give have confidence in you but this is a video game adaptation and we're not quite sure you can have the budget for this yet 
which is why I think they're promising more for like future seasons because now it's like yeah well, we know we got back now but they'll give us the money we want yeah yeah you know, it's like you see it in a lot of shows you know you get the first season bit rough and ready does well succeeds out of pure surprise for many of the investors and whatever and then they're like yeah have the money bigger budget for season two like that whatever and it's brilliant that you get that but yeah, it did feel like a mix of those two things for me. and you know yeah I want to see him but yeah it happened. I, I think that kind of like feeds into one of my larger criticisms of the show. I'd say is that I, 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 I just don't. Joel and Ellie's relationship in the show was felt rushed, mm. I guess, compared to the game. And I feel like this is probably not something people who didn't play the game would notice. But I, I feel like yes, it makes sense as you're saying to cut you know this scene out with the clickers that's in the game because story wise there's no reason to. But but part of what made their relationship so believable and so like their connection so strong was that like we still went through those places, yeah. you know, like like I fought through that that room full of clickers or I snuck by them. I, I you know, as Joel, I had to kill all of these people. Ellie helped me. I had to like, you know, I had to save her from things. Maybe she saved me from from stuff. Um, and like all of that kind of feeds into this whole this whole relationship that I feel like the show has moments and, and, and it's still heading that direction. But like, man, when I first played through the last of us, by the end of that game, I would have done anything for Ellie. I was with Joel as messed up as he was, you know, and how like, you know, how you can debate whether or not that was good. I didn't think of that. I was just like, yeah, we're doing this. But in the show, when it got to that, I don't want to quite spoil it until we get there. (laughs) But when it got to that point, it just didn't feel as earned to Mm. me. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And I think, as you say, a big part of that is just your own involvement has to mm-hmm. be there. And that's why you can sort of, it's easier for people to ignore what Joel is in a way when you're playing the game because you're so deeply connected with what's happening because you are mm-hmm. the, the action, you know, you are making it happen. Yeah. You're playing an action video game, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, and it's why, you know, in the, se- in the sequel, when you have later bits, you know, that put one protagonist against another, that it's deeply uncomfortable because it kind of pushes it up against your idea of who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, like that. And, you know, which is very hard to do in games, you know, like that. And it's why it rubs people up the wrong way, which is a really effective thing to do. You yeah. Know, I think, which is why a sequel needed to do it, I think. But yeah, it's not really something you can really get right with the TV show. I think just because unless you go longer, yeah, you know, which to be honest, they could have nine episodes instead of 10. You know, seems a bit odd but i think i could have done with one more maybe yeah. in there like i think after the um after the the david stuff i think if we had one more there before the fireflies just to like kind of be like because obviously that episode ends with him embracing ellie and then yeah. it's kind of he calls her baby girl like he did at, he called his daughter yes. at the beginning but i think maybe like one more episode just to really sell the fact that like okay now these two are like an inseparable pair they 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 love each other they they work well together they uh they get through this world easily because they know not easily but you know they they're comfortable with each other and i feel like launching right from like this sort of apex of their relationship in the previous episode to the finale is like whoa hold on i kind of i kind of wish there was something there also, the shortest episode of the season, right? And I was surprised. I, think, I was really surprised. Yeah. <laughs> the reality, though, I think over the course of the season, 
you know, the further that you get into it, it's the type of thing where it's like, okay, as good as episode three was, that was 90 minutes and 75 of it was dedicated to, you know, characters at the end of the day are not going to ultimately, um, Mm -hmm. you know, affect Ellie, at least, or Joel, right? I think Mm -hmm. that when you have also the Left Behind episode, which is, again, another hour. So there's almost two and a half hours there that don't revolve around Joel and Ellie. Again, that's not to say that they should have gone back and not done that or anything, but just thinking about like, yes, we could have definitely used another episode because if you're taking away from those characters, you do have to keep in mind the pacing, right? And that was one of those things that, you know, I was kind of on the fence about, is it just because it's the medium or is it because of how they allocated time? Mm -hmm. And I definitely agree with you uh, both in terms of you needed to have breathing room because between that episode with David and Ellie, you know, hacking him to pieces and whatnot to the finale and the finale, the first 15 minutes, again, it's a flashback, right? You get that Ashley Johnson cameo that has Ellie being born and whatnot. It's the type of thing where it's like, there's no breathing room at all. So it almost seems like, certain moments that are so pivotal in the game in the show ultimately almost feel like just like proofless, right? Mm -hmm. It's the type of thing where it's like, this should have had this big payoff, but it just kind of feels like a fleeting thing, Um, which is disappointing because when, you know, you get to the end of the game, you have these pivotal moments between characters that, yeah, sure. For people that haven't played the games, it probably landed just like it did for us the first time we played the game. Yeah. But I was, again, you know, I guess, Shouldn't have expected them to be able to recreate the magic of the game in that instance. But, you know, when you have the moments at the end that are so pivotal, they just didn't feel like they had the same kind of payoff that it was in the game because it was like, we're kind of just rushing through things. I think that also Mm -hmm. that leads me to probably one of the instances that I was not a big fan of at the last episode was when Joel talks to Ellie about, oh, I was the guy that shot and missed, which I'm sure, Jake, you can correct me, but was that discussed in the game i think that there was implications but it was never outright discussed between the characters yeah i thought i thought that was a new thing like i thought they added that for the show yeah that's what i I mean maybe there was some line that i missed some some brief dialogue Mm -hmm. uh that could have pointed to it but yeah that 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 took me by surprise so here's the thing with that and i could have sworn that that was new as well but you know it's not that I am opposed to them including a scene like that. If anything, you know, that's a very it feels very natural for that character, right? We've seen, you know, what he had to deal with, what he survived, what he's had to done since. It's like it's not outside the realm of possibility that he saw that as a solution at some point, right? What I was not a fan of was the fact that they introduced this new element to the character and it is a super heavy element, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But that conversation feels so rushed. Like they yeah. have that conversation And then Ellie's just like, yeah, it's like, I get that it's very awkward to be told that. But she kind of is like, yeah, well, you know, we got to get going. And then it's just over. And, you know, sure, he drops that little kind of breadcrumb, I think, in the third episode. He says something about, oh, I got patched up because a guy shot and missed. But it doesn't have a payoff. If anything, it kind of just feels, I don't know, like exploitative almost of the character's trauma kind of because it's not given any sort of – you know, a, I suppose the length and discourse that a conversation like that should have between two characters, yeah. rather than just being this fleeting, like, yeah, I tried to kill myself 
shit's rough, and then they just move on, kind of. Thing. <laughs> yeah, I would. It call- should be a little more thorough than that. Hopefully, That's it. there's instances of this throughout which you could call emotional shortcuts. You know, the things where they can be all mysterious about it and just have it as a line that's almost throwaway, and it kind of bleeds into the background a bit, and you're like, somehow, if you're not really paying attention properly to everything, you're like, oh, yeah, that made sense. And then, yeah, unfortunately, if you go back again and look at everything, you're like, oh, did that need to be done that way? It didn't really work out. And just to go back to what you were saying about the rushed feeling, one of the things that really did sort of get to me in those early episodes was just when they did get to key scenes and you're waiting for them, and then they'd just be done in seconds. You know, like they'd had mm-hmm. all this build-up, all this build-up, and then it's like, oh, you know that scene you really like? We're going to do it in like a fifth of the time. Like shot that. by shot too. Yeah, yeah like that. <laughs> but, 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 but like someone literally skipping through the YouTube video of it, like that. And um, it's just like, it was difficult when you had all the other things they were already cutting out to then sort of just rush through those moments as well. Like the first episode, they do such a great build up to that whole thing, you know, of what's going to happen. And then it's just done. You know, like that. And I thought, well, maybe I'm being unfair because I'm sure it's not that long in the game. It's like, no, 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 it's, it's definitely shorter than the game and you have control over that. And that's, um, I understand why, but it was just odd. It was just odd whenever that happened, you know, and as you do lose those moments, like, you know, the, the implication of Ellie killing someone, you know, again, as they put it out. And that, takes you know that has this dovetailing with the whole other story of by you know the trust with the gun and like that that never really happened yeah. because they changed that whole thing there's little bits of structure that obviously as we said if you hadn't played the game you're not going to miss but it's still kind of when you have it kind of drives you crazy when you have these moments where you're like that could have been there that could have been there and yeah it, the 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 build up to joel giving ellie a gun like you just mentioned i think is one of the best scenes in the game yeah. like it, it, and that scene is so good because yeah of the build up and and this it just like kind of happens in an episode she's like can i have a gun and and i think he she's asked a couple times like yeah sure and then i was yeah. like oh, okay i was like waiting for his like make every <laughs> shot count line because i yeah. love that scene i think it's so good but it was just kind of like oh all right yeah i guess she's got a gun now yeah. Even with the scene with the rifle later on, right? I think that's another huge moment in the game, right? When he goes through, you know, how to aim and all these things. Like, it's like a three-second interaction in the series. And it's when they're not in the middle of a city, you know, contending with raiders. It's just they're out, like, I don't know, shooting cans or something. And it's like, again, you know, taking moments. If you're going to recreate certain moments from the game, you have to have – it's not just that you have the interaction, but it's the context that goes with it. Um, I think also, though, at the same time, you know, for every scene that is just recreated from the game that is not done nearly as well, like I think about, oh, your watch is broken, that scene. In the game, I love the direction on that because the camera Mm -hmm. lingers on Joel and the watch as that line sinks in. But in the show, it kind of just cuts to the next thing to the point that, you know, why would anybody that is not familiar with – the game, they're not given, you know, the time to even process that line. Um, but then at the same time, I think about the episode with Henry and Sam when Henry has to kill him and then he turns the gun on himself. In the game, it cuts to black right away as soon as you hear the gunshot. But in the show, it lingers on Ellie's face for, you know, three to four seconds or something like that, which I think is a smart direction decision, right? That changes the game because it kind of just shows, you know, the horror of this and the mm-hmm. fact that, oh, she has, you know, as somebody that is presenting themselves as being as strong and being weathered in this apocalypse and everything, it's like, this is still a child. 
that is seeing these horrifying things unfold in front of them. And that was like, again, a change or an amend rather to, you know, a directorial decision from the game that I thought was a little stronger in the show. Um, It's just unfortunate that I think there's probably more examples of, you know, taking, recreating direct moments from the game that Mm. you can definitely start to see, you know, where they could have sort of done that better. Yeah. As I said, I think it just tends to be about realism that sort of dashes a lot of votes and then TV and sort of pacing for time. And I suppose the the dual thing of like still kind of being in that post-COVID sort of filming period, I'd imagine for some of it as well. And, you know, like being careful about budgets because even HBO are going to be careful about budgets. You know, you Mm -hmm. saw that when they went back to Game of Thrones with House of the Dragon. They aren't always as uh, bespoke as they were. So... It's understandable, but it's just, yeah, these are the side effects, I suppose, of it. I will say that I really did laugh at the the magazine scene that they recreated. (laughs) That definitely, uh, that captured that moment uh, very well from the game and whatnot. But um, I guess also, we haven't really mentioned it yet. What did you guys think of the Left Behind episode? They did that for an entire episode. I was kind of surprised by that. I thought it would be... Uh, a series of flashbacks or, you know, it would be half an episode or something like mm. that, but they went a full, full length episode with that. Um, how did you find they adapted that, Jake? I thought they adapted it well. I, I think this kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, where uh, there's a lot of prime real estate that was given to flashbacks and stuff. So when it got to that episode, I was kind of like, oh, okay, it's, it's the flashback episode. Like I, I, I know this. I know Ellie's backstory. I knew they had to do it because Ellie has that line, I think, in episode one where she mentions her friend Riley. And I was like, you wouldn't say that unless you're doing that because that would confuse people greatly. Uh, So, like, I thought it was handled well. I just didn't want it, I guess. Like, and I think once again, that is like that that is that is coming from someone who's played the game and knows what's going to happen and knows what has to happen for this character to make sense. So I'm just like, no, 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 I want to see like what else they're doing with Joel and Ellie because they have to cover a lot of ground yeah. uh, by the end of this season. So like, yeah, like I, I thought it was well executed. I, I am, I imagine people who hadn't seen the last of us is probably very effective for them and it was very necessary. But for me, I was like, okay, let's get to next week. <laughs> I think I have more of an issue with the placement of it. Right. Cause it yeah. kind of kills the momentum. I think when you're getting mm-hmm. to these pivotal moments in Ellie and Joel's story, you just throw in this full-length flashback episode, which, you know, I'll say I thought it was well done. Storm Reed as Riley was terrific, I thought. It was just the placement of it and, you know, I suppose even almost too much of it, I think. I think they needed yeah. to get to the point a little bit faster, especially, yeah. again, that plays into the point at which they introduced the flashback. If it had been earlier in the season, but then I guess you would have a conflict with, like, having that too close to episode three. But at the same time, you know, just looking at the second half of the season – which, you know, really does get into the formation of their un- inseparable bond, right? They even mm. have that line where it's like, wherever you go, I'll go with you after this. Mm. Um, and again, you know, getting to that point, though, it's just like, oh, man, we're rushing through so much. We can't let anything breathe at this point. Because yeah. if you let things breathe too long, then you kill this sort of momentum that you just got done killing with a flashback kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think the other thing, too, is is 
that that stuff in the game is optional, right? You can play through The Last of Us and mm-hmm. not know Left Behind. Like my partner loves Last of Us, never played Left Behind yeah, until I, like I, a year ago. I think a lot of people had that that were outraged about certain things in the second game. <laughs> Definitely had not played it. Left Behind. <laughs> yeah. <yet. laughs> um, but but like yeah, yeah, I love Left Behind. Like the, the the that DLC, I think it's great. I think you know if you're gonna play The Last of Us, absolutely play that afterwards. But play it afterwards. Don't don't stop halfway through The Last of Us, then play Left Behind, and then continue. Like, yeah, like part of it kind of makes sense if that's how it was ordered. But the, but like you're saying, the momentum, like even mm. in the game, I think would just suffer if it was like, all right, flashback. And it's like, no, I Joel's going to die. Like what's going to happen <laughs> to him, you know? Well, it is, I will say that, you know, I kind of always wanted that to be integrated, you know, when they were talking about doing part sure. one. I think we talked mm-hmm. about this actually when we talked about part one, yeah. but yeah, it would be nice because I think if you'd done it where it is flashback back to the present, the flashback to back to the present, it would work perfectly. And this is kind of like the monkey's paw version of that, where it's like, oh yeah, we'll put it and integrate it into the main story, but it's like, but then we'll do it the way that it probably shouldn't be done. And yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And, and you know, kind of teases you at the beginning by doing what I've already said many of the episodes do which is like here's your hub of Joel and Ellie and now we're going to go tell another story like that and yeah at that point it was kind of obvious it was going to happen that way but it was a bit of a tease to sort of do here they are at the beginning but maybe maybe they'll dovetail it but they don't and you know part of Left Behind as DLC does do that as well so it's like a bit annoying they didn't take that aspect of it and make it more integral so yeah still we wait for the day where it sort of slots effortlessly into the story yeah yeah it's um it's a shame in that regard because you know it's the first episode i watched late you know uh, of the lot and you know the thing is you know i've only played the dlc once because mainly because I think the first time I ever played it, it crashed like four times. I mean, <laughs> for some reason, which is more than the game ever did. But yeah, it was, you know, I knew the story, great, lovely, and just always kind of hoped that it would just be part of the main story. But here we are. It didn't quite happen what we wanted. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a lesson that hopefully they will learn or be cognizant of in how they choose to adapt season two or game two for mm. season two, right? Because... I think some people are worried, oh, we're going to get season two that opens with the way that part two opens, which my money's on. That's not how they're going to open season two. I think that in terms of an adaptation, not only do they want to hold on to Pedro Pascal as long as possible, but it's the type of thing where, you know, they're taking these creative liberties. So I would hope that they're going to, I believe the town's called Jackson that they're in, but like fleshing Jackson out is more of this microcosm of like a success the, wor- the best case scenario for this worst case scenario that the world is in, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe fleshing that out even more so and then sprinkling in moments either, you know, that occurred at the end of season one in terms of like what happened immediately after throughout the season. You know, they have a lot of freedom and they've proven that, right, with something like episode three where they just go completely off script off of the barest of bones of something that's implied in the game. And I'm hoping with season two, it's the type of thing where they either flesh out the game to the degree that, oh, you can get half season before Joel's fate, or at the same time, perhaps his fate occurs sooner than that, but they have a series of flashbacks that analyzes his relationship with Ellie. Um, It's the type of thing that, you know, as much as I enjoyed season one, 
I'm even more excited for season two, not just to get to, you know, maybe more infected or something like that, or moments that uh, I really enjoyed in the game, but more so just to see how off script they can go with a game that I think one of the common criticisms of it was the fact that, you know, it takes this kind of hard left turn at the mark when you go over to Abby, right? And seeing how maybe getting a second attempt at telling the story from two POVs, how they can kind of play around with that creatively. Yeah. Um, I think that's what has me most excited. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something about that that's going to be interesting in that I always hoped that when they did, if they were going to announce any more, that they wouldn't just make one more season and rush for it because, you know, it's twice as long for a start mm-hmm. yeah. so to, to hear them say they're going to do more than one season of it you know, or, or sort of allude to that I was like that's good because you really need to take your time with this story yeah. a lot of characters too that yeah. I'd argue weren't even entirely fleshed out in the game that I think yeah. kind of yeah I mean yeah, this is why I said earlier you know like I like that they've set that up now with this first season of the idea that The Last of Us isn't just about those two but about the wider effect of their actions and other characters mm-hmm. around them and we got that already so we that's something to be confident about I think going forward so we will have that in place for any future episodes how you sort of divide that story to tell it that way is going to be interesting because, yeah, I think the way they've been doing things so far means that you'd have a lot less justification for, for disliking Abby or hating Abby in the same way when you are basically getting the same kind of story told, you know, like, you know, there's a reason behind this, there's a reason to do this. And it makes sense, you know. Obviously, when in the game, you are pretty much presented with it as a well. We don't know who you from Adam, you know, and that's it. It's not till later you get the context, you know. And there are many people that don't like that rug pull, but it's still just so powerful. I think as a thing, you know, as a way to do things, and it does just come down to how you feel about Joel, you know, and you know how you understood what Joel did and how there had to be consequences for that, you know, and. It's just you don't get to understand straight away. So maybe a bit better balance in sort of trying to get that across earlier. I think I think even Neil Druckmann might feel that way now to go, well, you know, maybe we could have just given a bit more context earlier on. You know, and I mean, some of that was down to the leaks not helping. and But yeah. still, it, it was, there's definitely room for improvement in sort of delivering that story. Yeah, you know, taking their time with those characters too, because that's probably one of my main complaints about season one is just the fact that, you know, I thought that the casting overall for a majority of the secondary characters was really well done. Yeah. I think, you know, you have um, Gabriel uh, Luna as Tommy, who, you know, I think we get two episodes with him and it's only like a scene in each episode. Um, You know, Melanie Linsky, I thought was you know, Melanie Linsky, who's great in uh, Yellow Jackets. But again, you know, is the time with that character is so fleeting that by the time that character meets their fate, it feels like, oh, we were just sort of like getting to know and getting to know this person. And on that, um, sorry, just to say yeah. on the fate of that character, that was the most hokey shit in the whole show. I'm sorry. It, it felt like it had come in from a much lesser show. It is like, yeah. oh, the bad guy is going to get this obvious comeuppance from this sort of, you know, Chekhov's gun of a, a zombie mm-hmm. creature that we've introduced. And it's like, I just, yeah, I, I didn't like that part of it. You know, that made it feel worthless more than anything else. Well, yeah, I think also the scene that comes just before that character's fate is the one where she starts to kind of like actually 
revealed her humanity, right? She has that heart to heart with Perry and whatnot, yeah. who uh, Perry notably is voiced is the voice of Tommy, Tommy yeah, actually Jeffrey in the game, yeah. which is pretty Jeffrey cool. Pitts. But again, like a character that, uh, you know, again, he's just a bodyguard, but at the same time, like just spending one more scene showing why this is her guy. Right. Mm-hmm. I think little moments like could just be a single scene, but just something that gives more validity to why, you know, we've even attached a name to this character. Um, but I thought also, you know, for Tess, Anna Torv, who is fantastic in Mindhunter, I thought was great as well. And it was the thing where I was like, oh, man, if I could just use one more scene with her before they leave mm-hmm. the Boston QZ or something like that. Or it was, you know, the type of thing where – and Jake, we even talked about this with the uh, premiere where or the pilot episode where it was the type of thing where I was like, are they rushing to get out of the QZ just to get this journey started? And the longer that I was rewatching the season, I was like, I could have used at least, you know, another half episode of them in the QZ, I think, just because I want to flesh out that world more. I want the impactfulness of a character like Tess not to be lost on anybody that, you know, is not familiar with the games and whatnot. And mm. granted, in episode three with the letter that Bill leaves uh, Joel, like, yeah, sure. That's kind of like reinforcing the fact that, oh, this was somebody that was important in his life that had this impact Mm-hmm. But I just needed more moments like that, I think, um, throughout. But yeah, I guess in terms of season two, like what I was most relieved to read was um, they have not even considered recasting Bella Ramsey uh, as Ellie, which was kind of a, uh, I think there were some faint murmurings whether that was going to happen before this season wrapped, but they have confirmed that they will not be recasting, which mm-hmm. is great, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, she, you know, she is that age, you know, that he is in the sequel anyway. And they do make a very deliberate choice to sort of de-age her character in terms of how she dresses and, you know, her physical appearance and stuff like that. So there's little subtle things about it that make her appear younger than she is like that. And is that, you know, she's at an age where that, you know, you are changing so much anyway as a person, you know, physically that it's quite easy to, you know, if you film it a couple of years later, you are going to look fundamentally different at that age so i think that won't be a problem and she's just so believable anyway in terms of how she could go there and i like the little sort of seeds they've planted along the way in this season just showing that she could become that ellie so easily you know like that it's you don't need someone else to do it it would just derail everything so yeah i'm glad i'm very glad that that that's the case that they probably got her to be in this at just the right time, I think, in that regard. Because, yeah, she's going through the journey in that way at the same time. I like that. But, yeah, you know, I think that it was one of those things that made me laugh, too, because I was reading some comments. It was just like, well, you know, is she going to be able to look the part for an older Ellie? And it was like, they de-age people all the time or they make people <laughs> look older than they are all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, with prosthetics and all this stuff and makeup and whatnot, it was like, Why is that even part of the conversation? But uh, I guess before we wrap up, Jake, um, were there any other elements of season one that you thought were particularly notable in either adapting or just moments that you thought uh, did the source material justice? Uh, I I feel like we covered a lot of the big stuff. One thing we didn't touch on, though, I thought was Tess's death. Um, Mm. And and that was changed in many ways, right? Mm. I mean, it was infected instead that killed her. There was that weird kiss thing that I know a lot of people had issue with, which kind of came out of left field. Like I was a little surprised by it, yeah. but I, I guess yeah. was enough to buy into it. I was like, all right, well, I guess that's how it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else there is to necessarily say about that scene, but that that scene definitely stood out for me. And I'm not really sure if it's because I liked it or I didn't. And I think part of it might be to what you were saying earlier, where I just wish there was a little more tests before yeah. we lose tests, you know? And, you know, I, I kind of hinted at it a little bit, but, uh, like, one of my concerns with season two or season two and three of, you know, you know, whatever Last of Us Part Two covers is that like, I think one of the reasons why some people had an issue with, uh, including myself with like some of the events of two was that like, I didn't particularly care for any of Abby's sort of friend group, you know, mm-hmm. social structure like I did with Ellie. And I, and, sure. and I really hope that, you know, in the show, they are able to really flesh out all these characters and there's a lot more characters and characters that aren't just there to kind of show up and and be with Joel and Ellie a little bit and then die or disappear whatever it might be yeah. like they're they're super important because you know once again to your point it it is like it is about the ramifications uh their their how their actions affect a bunch of people not just one person yeah. and, and I think if like we treat a lot of these side if they treat a lot of these side characters the same way they treated side characters in this, I think there might be a concern. Now, not every side character, right? Like, I just talked about how much I love the Bill episode and stuff. But, like, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I just hope these other characters get I- enough enough for people to chew on so they can kind of accept, I guess, some of the actions that happen in two. Yeah. It would be amazing if they could make me care about a character like Owen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, like, right? Characters like, like that where I'm just like, you get to the end of two and I'm just like, wow, that was a whole lot of time with people I I'm not invested in at yeah. all. And like, um, I, yeah. I, I, I really liked Abby. I thought Abby was a great oh, character. Yeah. So, so I was like sold to that point. Yeah. It was just like, but then it went to Ellie and it's like, okay, I love like all of Ellie's friends and what yep. they did, even though even some of them in the game, I wish they kind of got a little more, mm. but like Dina and I don't know, I, I don't want to spend yeah. too much time talking about two, but <laughs> yeah, I guess that's kind of one of my concerns improvements so i really hope they end up doing like what you're saying that it'll be two seasons uh they'll spend all the time they need and maybe they think about that structure because the way that game is structured i feel like there's a lot of room for reinterpretation on on just the fundamental plot of that game not necessarily changing how it happens but just like okay maybe we could you know front load this stuff with like what would be flashbacks but we'll start with like you know joel and ellie here getting over it or maybe you can start as far back as that scene with um abby as a kid or maybe you just start on abby you know there's so many different approaches that yes i i I think tv might actually have a better chance of pulling off than Mm. the game yeah Um, but that remains to be seen because like even you know neil you mentioned how like part of the reason why that fight between ellie and abby is so impactful is because you you're, you're uncomfortable you don't really know who the hero or isn't, you know, yes. at that point. And like, hey, how do you do that in a show? I don't know. Mm. I, I'm I'm excited though. I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah. I think one of the main things you're going to have there that's quite interesting is that whole duality of it. It's like you are telling the same story. You know, it's the MGS2 thing. You're telling the same story mm-hmm. again, but from a different perspective, you know, like that and sort of having it all sort of eat itself, you know, as you have everyone playing out someone else's role uh, throughout, you know, you know Abby is, doing the revenge role then ellie's doing the revenge role you know it's like and then the abby and lev stuff is basically you know a, a callback to the stuff we've already had with joel and ellie mm-hmm. and it just keeps going round and round and round and then completes itself in a perfect circle 
So I'd love that they can find a way to do that. And I, the way we set up so far to me suggests that they are thinking of that, you know, already. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah. So I'm really confident of that. And I think it, of the stories, it is the one that is better suited to be adapted to television because I think the ambitions there, I just think it was a bit messy for a video game at times. And uh, agree. Yeah. So, but I, I like messy. I like things that are ambitious and messy and don't always pull it off because there's always something more interesting about them, you know, and the first game has been discussed to death in terms of what it does well and like the beats it goes well. And that's where it, it fundamentally falters sometimes as a TV series because you are kind of waiting for those beats and going, well, why didn't they do this like this? Or why didn't they do it like that? And like, not so many arguments to be had, I think, with, with the, the second game, where you can just sort of maybe riff on it yeah. a bit more and change things about a bit and be a bit more confident in it because there's not no wide consensus to play to, you know? I think you, you are going to get people that are going to hate it either way. There are people that love it either way. And so just, yeah, keep... Keep firing the way you've been firing. You've established your own timeline effectively of how to do things and styles. So, yeah. And with a bigger budget that I'd imagine they'll get, you know, sky is the limit. They'll probably need for that season. Yes. (laughs) And as long as we get the Rat King, absolutely fine. And he isn't just like a two-second bit. (laughs) Could you imagine if they cut that out? Good God. But it is the type of thing where... I'm going into a second season incredibly excited to see not so much if they're going to rewrite things, but how they can reshuffle things, kind of like what we've been saying in terms of just making it a bit more cohesive or giving it the breathing room that it's so badly needed, I think, even though, you know, I definitely enjoy part two as well. But Jake, as always, man, we appreciate you coming on to chat, uh, you know, games in general, shows in general, but uh, specifically The Last of Us as well. So thank you again, man, for your time. This was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a blast. I, I love hanging out with you guys and especially, you know, talking about Last of Us. <laughs> Fantastic. Maybe we'll have you on to chat about something else in the future. But uh, if not, we'll, def- we'll definitely uh, come back to you for your Last of Us knowledge. I'm, I'm always here. <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also drop us an email over at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.